Hello and welcome to the Palm Sunday service of St. Paul Union Church. Some of you have worshiped with us online over the past two Sundays. For some of you, this will be your first opportunity to do church together using this online platform. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mark Wilson, and I'm a member of the leadership team here at SPUC. Several weeks ago, we heard a buzzing of noise on our street outside. It was chainsaws and bucket trucks, and the city crew was moving down the street trimming the palm trees. Here in Antalya, this is an annual ritual. Maybe this has happened in your own neighborhood as well. All year they sprout upward, provide some foliage here, a bit of shade in front of our apartment, and then in the springtime, the city crews come in and trim them back. I was thinking, whoa, how wonderful it would be to gather these palm branches and use them for a Palm Sunday service. But alas, uh, they would have withered, and of course, uh, we cannot gather in person at the St. Paul Cultural Center anyway to use those palms. But if you remember last year, our sister Symbol uh, made these uh, palm crosses and handed them out at our service. So we still have these around. And so if you've got one of these crosses, uh, you might want to bring it out so we can wave it at the appropriate time. Over the past six weeks, Pastor Robin has taken us through six of the seven last words of Jesus. And last Sunday brought us to Jesus's death on the cross. However, today we're going to rewind uh, these events of Holy Week and start at the beginning five days earlier. We all know what happens in the days ahead, but for the crowds and the disciples who are in Jerusalem for Palm Sunday, these events were unknown to them. So we need to keep that in mind. Palm Sunday is a day of joy and celebration in which Jesus's messianic nature is fully revealed. He's fully recognized as the King of Israel. Now each gospel records Jesus's triumphal entry. So obviously this is an important event. The text that was read earlier was really a harmony or compilation of the accounts in the four gospels, since we have overlap between them. And as the readings have shown, we have four, five voices emerging in the story of Palm Sunday. First, the disciples, the prophets, the crowd, the Pharisees, and finally, that of Jesus. So today we want to look at the triumphal entry of Jesus through the lens of each group. First, the disciples. For them, this is a period of great anxiety and distress. For when Jesus had announced his return to Jerusalem, Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So their expectation that the return to Jerusalem was had the possibility of bringing their deaths as well. And after Jesus had brought Lazarus back to life, the Jewish authorities it issued a warrant for his arrest. And when the disciples returned to Bethany with Jesus, they knew that the Pharisees were trying to kill both Jesus and Lazarus because the miracle of the raising of Lazarus was causing many people to turn to Jesus. 
So as they prepare to leave the home of Lazarus, two disciples are asked to perform a seemingly silly task. They're told to procure a donkey from somebody's stable. Now you can imagine them rolling their eyes and thinking to themselves, really Jesus, haven't we got better things to be doing? You're about to make a grand appearance in Jerusalem and we're being sent to steal a colt from some poor villager. Reluctantly, they went ahead, and lo and behold, a colt was standing, just as Jesus had predicted. And when they said what Jesus had directed them to say, the Lord has need of it, the owner raised no objections. So stage one of the day's drama was set. A donkey was in hand. The prophets Isaiah and Zechariah. In his series on the seven last words of Jesus, Robin has been noting the various prophecies from the Old Testament that were being fulfilled in Jesus' words and actions. In our Bible study this past Wednesday, we continued to discuss this quite interesting point. In our passage today, we have another example of fulfilled prophecies, this time from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, and Zechariah 9.9. 9. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isaiah's words, do not be afraid, are found only in John, and they're addressed to the one who is bringing good news to Zion. And of course, Jesus is that herald. And Zechariah, prophesying 500 years before, had predicted this triumphal entry into Jerusalem with the gentle king of Israel. Now, when you think about a king, gentle is not normally the adjective that you use to describe a king, but Zechariah does. And Jesus, knowing that prophecy of Zechariah, now directed the disciples to obtain a cult so that this scripture is fulfilled literally. Now, Zechariah's prophecy continues in verses 10 and 11. Of course, Jesus knows the context here. And Zechariah emphasizes three points about the coming king of Israel. And I owe these thoughts to Don Carson in his commentary on John. Number one, the arrival of the gentle king is associated with the end of war. Number two, the arrival of the gentle king is associated with the proclamation of peace to the nations with his reign being extended to the ends of the earth. And number three, the arrival of the gentle king is associated with the blood of God's covenant bringing release for prisoners. Now, in the first coming, Jesus only accomplished point three, three the redemption of prisoners, those in bondage to sin, and this through his shedding of blood. However, the end of war and the establishment of his kingdom over all the earth will only occur at his second coming. And for this reason, we as a church continue to say, come, Lord Jesus. Now, did the disciples fully understand that scripture was being fulfilled by Jesus during Palm Sunday and Holy Week? Perhaps only in part, because we see John telling us in chapter 12, verse 16, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. 
Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So may the Lord give us understanding in our minds and hearts and spirits today about this Jesus, who is the gentle King of kings and Lord of lords. Next, the Passover crowd. The crowd of pilgrims arriving in Jerusalem for the Passover in AD 30 were abuzz with fresh stirrings in the holy city. Some had come from Galilee where they had seen Jesus's marvelous miracles and heard him teach. Others had heard about the raising of Lazarus and some had even made the half day journey to Bethany to see Lazarus himself, this walking miracle. Others were Hellenistic Jews who had come from North Africa and Asia Minor, modern Turkey. They hadn't seen Jesus in person, but of course they'd heard about him and were interested in seeing this wonder worker for themselves. And we even have some Gentile proselytes coming from the area of the Decapolis on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. So incitement was in the air as the crowd waited outside Lazarus's house in Bethany. Two disciples emerged and went off into the village, soon to reappear with a donkey. Then Jesus and the rest of the disciples emerged, and they threw some garments on the donkey's back, and Jesus sat now on the donkey. Soon the procession started for Israel, excuse, started for Jerusalem, excuse me. Some ran ahead to announce that Jesus was on the way. The crowd accompanying Jesus and the disciples began to swell as they approached the Mount of Olives. So for those of you who have ever visited Jerusalem, you can visualize the topography that's going on here from Bethany, the Mount of Olives, to the Kidron Valley, and then rising on up to Jerusalem itself. Some started to cut branches from the palm trees along the road and they spread them out before them and they began to wave them. So now is the occasion you can get out your palm branch and wave along with the crowd. But why palm branches? Well, by this time, the palm had become a national symbol for Israel. When the hated Hellenistic ruler Antiochus Epiphanes was driven from Jerusalem in 167 BC, and the temple restored and the altar rededicated, the Jews filled the streets of the city and rejoiced and waved palm branches on that occasion. We're told this in 1 Maccabees. We see palm branches now appearing on coins issued in Judea, again, part of the national identity. So if we can think of a modern equivalent, uh, think of a national sports team winning the World Cup and as they return home, the streets filled with a cavalcade of cars passing through the city and people shouting from the streets and the balconies, waving flags and celebrating uh, a victory. So this is sort of the occasion that's happening here in Jerusalem with literally hundreds of thousands of people gathered for the Passover. So as the group streamed together, descending now into the Kidron Valley, they began to praise God and acclaim Jesus for his mighty deeds. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the words we sang in our worship choruses this morning. 
Maybe in your Bible, there's a footnote that says, Hosanna in Hebrew means God save us. And the crowd here is echoing the language of Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Again, the context with two verses earlier, the psalmist had prophesied. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. However, on this day, the Messiah who would be rejected is recognized for who he is, the son of David, the gentle king of Israel. The events of this day recall the coronation of Solomon. It's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 32 through 40. And there we see King David saying, Take the Lord's servants with you and have Solomon, my son, mount my own mule and take him down to Gihon Spring. We see Jesus here similarly mounted on a donkey. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. The day before, Mary had anointed him with perfume in Bethany. For Solomon now, then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. For Jesus now, as the physical and spiritual of his father David, the, the heir of his father David, Jesus and his coming kingdom is announced. And finally, as part of Solomon's coronation, the culminated the people sounded the trumpet, uh, excuse me, the priests sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him playing pipes and rejoicing greatly so that the ground shook with a sound. Here on Palm Sunday in Jerusalem, Jesus is similarly proclaimed King of Israel with shouts of acclamation. Our next voice is that of the Pharisees. Standing on the fringes of this procession were the Jewish authorities. Rather than joining the crowd with its enthusiastic acclamations, the Pharisees were outraged with this loud demonstration for a person they viewed as a spiritual fraud. These teachers of the law would surely have noted the similarities with Solomon's coronation, but knew this Jesus was no king like Solomon. And even his ancestry from David through the line of Judah had been called into question by them. Even their efforts to kill Lazarus had failed. And because of Jesus's popularity, they couldn't get a, an assassin close enough to him to do the job. And now to top it off, these peasants were calling Jesus King of Israel. What if the Roman authorities heard of this and believed a rebellion was starting to install this nobody from Galilee as a ruler over the nation? From their perspective, all efforts to contain Jesus had failed, and it seemed everyone in town for the Passover had gone over to Jesus' side. So as Jesus rode past them on the donkey, they demanded of him, rebuke your disciples. For they wanted Jesus personally to shut this thing down before it got out of hand. Jesus replied, but I'm sure their answer must have surprised him. 
So we come to Jesus finally. In his reply, Jesus seems to take his words from the prophet, prophet Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 11. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Jesus realized that on this day, his followers would have their moment, and he was not going to put a damper on their enthusiasm by reproving them for their boisterous acclamations. However, Jesus' joy and excitement returned to reality as he approached Jerusalem, at least according to Luke's gospel. For he's given a prophetic vision of what will happen to the city in one generation. Now in the temple a few days later, he's going to give more details of these apocalyptic events that would happen within a generation. But here he just portends its destruction. Enemy armies would encircle Jerusalem's walls and tear them down. And the stones that you see below the Temple Mount today in Jerusalem, still visible there, are the result of this event. This happened because Jerusalem did not understand the time of its visitation by Jesus. These events that Jesus was looking ahead to 40 years in advance culminated in another triumphal entry in the city of Rome in AD 71. And the Jewish historian Josephus describes this event as a firsthand witness. From the temple, the Romans had taken spoils and they carried these through the city of Rome. You can see these on the Arch of Titus today when you visit the Roman Forum. Shown there is the golden table, the golden menorah, the law of the Jews, the law of Moses. As part of this triumphal entry, the Jewish captives were paraded with their general in chains, taken captivity into captive there. And at the end of this long procession that was winding its way through the imperial city, we see Vespasian, general, first, now emperor, his son Titus, who was responsible for sacking Jerusalem and destroying the temple, and Domitian following. They're not riding donkeys, but white horses as they go into the city before a populace wearing white robes. So what a stark contrast for an entry into the city between that of Jesus and the emperor and his family a generation later. The humility of Jesus riding on a donkey here on Palm Sunday. Of course, we know that this day of celebration and acclamation would soon devolve into the tragic events of Holy Week. Tragic, of course, for Jesus, but salvation for the world. But that's the rest of the story that will unfold during Holy Week and culminate next Sunday on Easter. So what are some takeaways from this account of Palm Sunday that we've been looking at today? First of all, I think obedience is uh, something important here. Jesus asked his two disciples to do something that seemed quite silly. Retrieve a colt for him to ride on. But they obeyed and Jesus was able to fulfill prophecy by riding into Jerusalem. I ask you, has the Lord been requesting you to do something recently. Perhaps it seemed unimportant or you've been delaying and acting 
God's word to you. But obedience is critical for all of Jesus' disciples. We all have a season of an enforced quietude uh, now, and it's a God-given time for us to reassess priorities in our lives. So I encourage you to use this gift of time wisely and to seek the Lord how you might be more obedient as one of his disciples. A second emphasis here, I think, is kingship. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with the Lord today. The crowds were announcing the kingship of Jesus here on Palm Sunday as he rides into Jerusalem. And of course, this is all accompanied with praise and worship and acclamation. So worship is an integral part of uh, our service to the king. And of course, his kingdom is going to fully come when he returns again in the future. For those of us who believe in Jesus, he already rules in our hearts as king. So I ask you, is Jesus your Lord and King today? And if not, I invite you to invite him to let his kingdom come and let his will be done in your life today. Jesus, the gentle King of Israel. The final point is sorrow. In the Gospels, there are two occasions when Jesus weeps. The first, of course, is at the death of Lazarus, and here he cries as he approaches Jerusalem and envisions her coming destruction. He saw the pain and sorrow that would come upon its inhabitants because they didn't recognize the time of his coming. Jesus wept because of all those who would suffer, the Jews that Josephus records numbered over a million people who died in this great catastrophe. Today we see a world filled with pain and suffering resulting from the coronavirus crisis. Like Jesus, it's appropriate that we feel sorrow and mourn over the death and destruction that this virus has left in its path. May God have mercy on this earth to shorten the days of this pandemic spread. And again, I encourage you to use this precious time to connect with friends and family that we can over these wonderful uh, media of uh, Skype, uh, Zoom, uh, FaceTime, uh, etc. To encourage one another, to pray one another uh, as we're all quarantined, awaiting for this to pass. Strengthen one another and draw one closer to one another through prayer and Bible study and fellowship through such a wonderful online platform that we have today. As we listen to the testimonies of doctors and nurses and first responders, the trials uh, that they're going through, it, it breaks our heart and we weep, Lord, as we see also the testimonies of those who have been afflicted by this virus and the families that have been affected as well. And so let us continue to cry out to the Lord that this will pass over uh, our homes and our families and be eliminated from the earth. And those who are working diligently to find vac vaccines to stop this pandemic will be successful. Thank you for being a part of our Palm Sunday service. And I'd like to close with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for 
the opportunity, a part of this celebration in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago to acclaim Jesus as that gentle king. We thank you that he is now the king in our lives, and we continue to praise and acclaim him for who he is. And Lord, we do pray for our earth at this time. Lord, have mercy. Lift this pandemic from our midst. Spare the lives of men and women and children in countries around the world and flatten and even crush the curve of this virus. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and we'll see you during the Holy Week services next week.